0: Wave Pool technology is progressing at a rapid rate, and commercially surfable wave pools are opening around the world. Welcome to the Wave Pool Mag Podcast. My name is Nick Robinson, and through my guests we take a detailed look at this fascinating new game. Check us out on WavepoolMag.com for your curiosity and stuff. Damon, thanks so much for joining us on the WavePool Mag podcast.
1: Cheers, Nick. Great to be here and great to catch up finally.
0: Yeah, well, you're obviously, uh, you're in Melbourne right now, right?
1: Oh, Sydney at the moment. So, uh, but you know, that, that probably tells half the story of what I, what I dealt with in 2019. I was basically a FIFO worker for uh, 12 months after landing back in the country after six days. So, uh, yeah, four to five days a week in Melbourne to get the project up down there.
0: wow that must have been difficult to fly down especially when covid hit i mean how did that affect your travel plans oh just
1: just brutal everything kind of slammed against the wall you know but i I think that the scarier thing for me was both my kids were born overseas where i was living and uh they were not happy that dad was disappeared out of the house for pretty much a year of our move back to australia so that that was quite trying but covid yeah definitely a a second hit on that
0: yeah yeah i mean i was just thinking about it this morning imagine if COVID hadn't happened, what urban UrbanServe would be like today, would it be totally different or just how, how do you think it would have played out?
1: Yeah, I think having Melbourne operate for a year would have really helped us progress a lot quicker on other projects. There's no doubt about it. The Sydney project, we had planned to start much earlier. And of course, when COVID hit, there was just so much uncertainty. So naturally, we had to batten down the hatches in Melbourne. We just invested heavily in the park. There was only 11 weeks of trade, then this hit. It's just just crazy so we had to pause things for a bit but you know i'm really stoked that we're back out on the other side of it now not completely of course i mean you know the rest of the world's still going through a lot but here we are you know in, on the cusp of uh, raising our capital for sydney so i'm just super excited about that it's been a long time coming
0: Oh, excellent! Yeah, I just saw an email come in from Urban Surf about there was an event down there in Melbourne, wasn't
1: there? Yeah, fairly recently for for the love. So uh, you know, complete with COVID marshals and limited numbers, and all the things that we had to abide by. The uh, you know, as everyone is probably aware of, of of all the listeners, you know, the restrictions in Australia around COVID have been quite tough. But it's it's worked pretty well, you know, and I, I think there's a lot of uh, support for the government in terms of how it's been handled at large. But yeah, to help, be able to hold our first event, which we desperately wanted to do, you know, a year ago at this time of that scale was just amazing. And I, I just, there's a couple of shots that are just sticking in my head, particularly when you're looking across the lagoon, seeing people surf and even a lesson going at the same time. And then there's this multicolored stage set up in concert, just pumping out. So it was just awesome. Yeah, Fantastic.
0: No, it sounds like that's, I think that's probably what's going to make wave parks, put them on the map is when you have amazing events like that. And I think you did a, a Ferrari event way before COVID, didn't you? Yeah,
1: we did. I mean, I think it's just the nature of it being so unique. You know, the surf park game is is, is such a new sort of industry. And, you know, the, the Laguna tracks a lot of interested parties wanted to do something just completely different. And Ferrari was no exception. You know, there was probably a few jitters when that that, that spider was getting uh, reversed up on the ramp in the middle of the lagoon on the pier. There, no, we were kind of hoping it wouldn't roll into the lagoon. But no way! I didn't know. <laughs> it, it, it never quite happened, but there was just those moments where you think, "Oh, this is a slightly expensive car here. This could be interesting." But it worked out okay, you know. And and the launch was was amazing, and they were very happy. And uh, I tell you what, you know, I mean crazy brand to associate with surfing and then a surf park like the mind just blows thinking about pulling all of that together you know
0: (laughs) you're right it is a crazy brand i mean here in portugal we've got mercedes-benz is really big hugely involved in nazare is that a similar case in in australia Is mercedes-benz involved in surfing as well
1: Uh, there's a little bit of action around but yeah and we actually did have a mercedes it was more of a a worker's van type of uh, launch for their, their their van as well in the park but you know in terms of surfing yeah same sort of support that we see elsewhere exists here but yeah the ferrari one was definitely something unique so love to get them back for uh, their next model launch i think it'd be good fun (laughs) (laughs) but damon
0: you've got an impressive history in business management could you outline the highlights for us
1: yeah thanks nick i mean look uh, i guess i i've come from you know probably 25 odd years of uh of really the corporate kind of world. My whole background, I mean, look, if I think about my earliest days of leaving school, I was I was a bit uh, bit jaded because I, I didn't get into the Air Force. I always wanted to be a fighter pilot, but I just got freakishly tall and, and still am. And, you know, fitting into a cockpit would, would have been quite a challenge for me. But I did work in the hospitality game. You know, I did everything from cleaning ashtrays to working in the bar to being a doorman. In a pub near where I grew up, and then uh, took a break from that. Went and did my studies, and kind of fell in love with with sales and marketing. So that's where the origins were. Worked in FMCG businesses, you know, uh, and then I even spent some time in what would probably be, I guess, where you are is the AA or you know the road the road service organisation in New South Wales is called NRMA, and that was my first sort of transformation role where we really had to turn around a performance issue in the business and. I use that one as a as a trigger of my career because my whole career I've kind of worked in those situations where I've had to do a performance turnaround or rectify or drive the business growth or just just get things back on track. And they're the things I really enjoy. They're tough, yeah. you know. Maybe if I was smarter, I would accept jobs that are a little bit easier. But they're the sort of ones I really get attracted to. So I've progressively sort of done similar roles. And for me, anything relating to the customer or products or services. That's that's really where my passion is. I, I love it, and uh, I guess urban surf was kind of on a similar path to that. But um, yeah, and I spent ten years in the Middle East working out of Dubai as part of uh, uh, an a Bush in the the booze game, and um, I really enjoyed that. You know, I mean, my team before I left Dubai, you know, I had a couple hundred staff. Not I was the only one on the team that had English as a Language, wow. you know, and the, the experience and that diversity, and the amazing people I got to meet, the amazing teams I got to work with, was just fantastic. You know, I, I loved every minute of it, it was great.
0: It sounds funny having anheuser Bush in the middle of Dubai because common perception is there's zero alcohol in the Middle East right
1: absolutely, you know, and um we now you've got about three hundred um uh, hotels over there, lots of five star hotels, and you know they're very big on the tourism piece, and there are retail stores, you know we used to run retail stores and everything as well, so we did quite a bit of export from that location as well because it is a natural transport hub. So, but that was a unique experience. And one of my roles over there was I was the contact with the police who did all of our licensing and things like that. And, you know, I had many, many days and many hours drinking far too much Arabic coffee out of the big urns and uh, being completely jacked up on caffeine whilst trying to hold conversation with the colonel who was the chief of our licensing division. And that was just stuff you had to do, you know? So I, I learned a lot about... Uh, how we negotiate, how we do deals with absolutely no pieces of paper around things and all that sort of stuff. Relationships over there are just so key, you know. So it was, it was a great experience, I must mm. admit.
0: Sounds amazing. So yeah, I'm curious is when exactly was the first time you rode a wave? And, and I was wondering if it was at Urban Surf. Or was it way before?
1: No, it was a bit before that. Look, I, I'm, I'm no gun surfer. I'm not going to make any claims here on this. When you see a six foot seven man on a board, it's not the prettiest thing you'll ever see, Nick. But, you know, <laughs> I, I certainly uh, I do my best out there. But it probably started when I was um, in my early teens. My, my dad used to, as a second job, uh, run a pub in Narrabeen on Sydney's northern beaches. Back then it was called The Antler. Uh, it's changed a little bit now. It was a pretty rough old pub. He always came home with uh, the occasional bloody nose or a broken watch. You know, it was a pretty. A little bit of different back in those days, and he used to take me on weekends on a Sunday morning, and and we go for a surf. So my, my roots, I mean, I, I boogie boarded when I was a young fellow, and then um, when I could afford a board, I had a like a six foot Aloha board with plenty of dents in it from the local retail store, and uh, that thing I used to bash around and sort of the middle beach breaks of Narrabeen for a long, long time just to, and I just tried to teach myself the best, you know. And my dad was actually a wave skier; he, he loved it, you know. So he would paddle out the back and go. Miles were all stuck um, getting bashed around in the waves. But, you know, eventually got there and just, just loved it. You know, I just couldn't stop myself. And, uh, you know, it sort of went from there. And ironically, um, even now, since we've moved back to Australia a couple of years ago, we are back on the northern beaches now. So I've sort of gone back to my roots of surfing, which is really cool. So I, I kind of love being able to share that with my kids, you know. Full circle, yeah. So do you do yeah. any wave skiing? And just, do people still do that? Yeah. I mean, I'm reflecting back on, I guess it's the 80s, right? When these things were like big boats and tanks. And whenever it was in a break, it was terrifying if someone got dumped off one of these things, you see that coming towards you. Not so much. My uncle was a shaper back in the day and he operated out of, out of Newcastle. I think he worked for, for Dart Wave Skis back in the day. And uh, he actually shaped me a couple of boards and he made me a Malibu board with this carbon fiber interior sort of before their time. And I remember I left it on the roof racks too long one day on the beach and it actually melted over the roof racks. So it was wow. probably not the best design I've ever seen, but it certainly became a showpiece <laughs> to show people, you know, it was a bit of a laugh.
0: <laughs> yeah. Amazing how things have turned around. And now if you look out into the lineup, now you see foils and wing dings and
1: all kinds of crazy stuff. So, it's yeah. it's just amazing. I, I feel pretty old old school when it comes to those things now, that's for sure. Yeah.
0: Well, I've actually sort of given up surfing and moved into uh, stand up paddle because it's so much easier.
1: I have one of those too, I must admit. And and I, I still, my wife's regularly, um, down there where I live, just at Collaroy, there's a great, fun, smaller wave off the South Point in the right conditions where you can get a nice long ride on your stand-up board as well. So anything to get on a board, I think, is, is kind of is kind of great. Right? You know?
0: <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. So how did you get involved in, in Urban Surf? Because it sounds like quite a departure from Anheuser-Busch.
1: Yeah, it was. So I had decided, well, the family had decided to, to finish up in the Middle East. You know, we've been there for 10 years and the kids were both born there. So we wanted them to really have their roots in Australia. That was a very important thing to us. And so we made the call to move home. I was planning on taking six, 12 months off. I didn't want to work, just wanted to settle back in, you know, say hi to everyone and, you know, do a bit of surfing and, and casual time and all that sort of thing. And I actually got a, a call from an old boss of mine who had done a whole bunch of transformation work for in the past, who was on our board. And still is. And he said, Look, there's this uh, project, there's a few challenges. You know, I mean classic startup sort of headaches where you you know, budgets are tight and you know, unforeseen issues pop up and all these types of things occur. And given my background in the transformation piece and also, you know, being a being a surfer, he said, I think there might be something we should talk about. So initially I had no interest. I, I was just like, No, I need a break, you know, it's been ten years overseas, I want to settle back in. And then he kind of kept dangling this carrot of uh, Well, it's a surf park, you know. And I thought to myself, "All right, I've got to wake up here." How many times in your life do you actually get asked to work on a surf park? It's going to happen once. If I say no, it'll never happen again. So I I had to grab it, you know. And that's kind of how it was. And uh, for me, and I know it's a bit cheesy and cliche, but I always say it's like a a Willy Wonka moment for me. You know, I mean, you know, I guess I've been given the keys to the factory. I was just phenomenal, and and I, it was a fairly hectic last month before I left overseas to come back, and then. Literally, uh, I think it was eight days after I landed back in the country after 10 years, and I had visited Australia, of course, in between, I was on the plane to Melbourne on a weekly basis. So it was pretty hectic.
0: So at what stage was Melbourne in when, when you first came? Was the site already there, or what, what, what stage did you join?
1: It was, I joined, so we we had the, the, the waveguard machine in play, we had the walls and the plinth built, and it was the rest of it was just a big, muddy hole, and, uh, you know, a lot of us there uh, – had many experiences of walking that site after a rainy day, and you you gained six inches of mud that just stuck on the boots. It was just horrendous, you know. But yeah, it was it was early stages, and um, you know, my focus at that time was just looking after all the the commercial, the operational side, partnerships, marketing, everything to do with that. You know, the systems, the IT. It was basically the operational side of the park and and what we had to do from that front. And another one of our colleagues who's up on the board now as well, Simon. He actually was brought on to help finish the development. So um you know Andy finished off the lagoon and the floor and everything surrounding that. He was still on the board of course at the time and and then Simon finished off the rest of the development of the park. So it was a real team effort to get it all happening and you know plenty of headaches along the way of course but you know by the nature of something so ambitious I think that's that's natural.
0: Yeah and something so unique and so it's like first time ever really. I mean I suppose the the Wave Garden Cove was in parallel was being developed in Bristol at the same time. Did you guys
1: Tat a lot to the Bristol guys. Yeah, we did. I mean, you know, I, I spent a lot of time with with Craig. Um, you know, he and I swapped notes. I think there were some mutual therapy sessions that you had. You know, just when you've got those colleagues that have had the same experiences, you do swap notes. You share some of the frustration. You talk about, geez, isn't that crazy? Some days you don't have a solution for it. You just need to vent somewhere. You know, th- those things all occurred, and uh, you know they they had a, a pretty crazy journey as well as as we all did, and. Uh, You know, it was a giant science experiment. As one of our colleagues used to say, it's like cutting-edge sort of engineering. You know, this hasn't really been done before. You're creating a a lagoon the size of, in our case, a cricket ground, which is a big space with 20 million litres of water driving two metre waves onto the floor. Like, that's pretty abnormal for an inland location when you think about it what the hell were we thinking you know (laughs) but here we are today and it seems to be working pretty well (laughs) yeah it looks
0: like it's working awesomely so what is the largest development challenge before opening was it was it getting the land was it the recruitment drive was it technological what what, what did you use in your mind what what do you think were the best i mean the biggest challenges
1: yeah i think it related to how the ground behaved to getting the floor right. It was mainly around that lagoon construction. Like you said, it had never been done at that scale. Even the R&D center in in Spain is quite small in comparison to what we actually produced. So really learning, you know, and things like weather in Melbourne, you know, we went through this horrible patch of rain where it just, just hammered us and it was right in the middle of when the floor was getting laid, created all sorts of headaches and delays. They're the things that sort of stand out and you've just got to be resilient and keep working through it. On the operational side, I mean, we had a reasonable grasp of customers. We talked to people, did a lot of research. You know, there were a number of true core surfers on the on the team, as well as those that were non-surfers. So you had a good cross-section of sort of that, you know, that experience of what the customer was looking for or what we thought. So we were nervous about Gee, we hope, hope this wave fires. We hope our core surfing community loves it. All of those things are always in the back of your mind. Like they, they, so they weren't really problems. They were just things that we had to make sure we we're on top of all the time. And we want to stay true to that, you know, all the way through the whole experience with mm-hmm. it. So
0: I'm just curious because obviously, with it being such a unique attraction, as it were, because I mean, essentially, it's an attraction. What kind of parallels in the business world can you draw? I mean, you can look at golf courses, you can look at water parks. What, what kind of parallels did you look at?
1: Yeah, we looked at basically anything that you would do in your free time, say on a weekend, or even those things you would do to exercise. So, you know, I I kind of look at the surf park, and it's almost a cross between that theme park attraction, even though we don't tend to lean ourselves that way, but almost like a, a gym experience as well. Where you're, you know, before and after work, you might pop to the gym, go for an hour session because it's convenient. You know, pop in the change room, get changed, grab a shower, whatever it is, or at lunchtime. But then you're combining it with sport or a passion or a hobby or whatever it is to you as an individual and it's something you love right so you're kind of combining these elements and that's where it was really unique and we see that today you know based on booking the ld session you see guys who will come in for their hour they'll find a spot to sit get on a laptop um, get on a zoom meeting and they'll jump in for their second hour after that you know so the parallels i draw are to those sorts of experiences but also you know what would you normally do on a saturday morning maybe you're playing golf maybe you're going to the cable ski park maybe you're going skiing itself you know if it's winter of course probably not the same sort of experience but it's those types of things that we would often compare ourselves to okay
0: that's interesting yeah because obviously that it's quite particular to the location of urban surf it's right and it's close to the city and you've got you know big population within 30 minutes aren't you don't you so
1: we do. It's a, it's a great location. I think you've got two benefits of that spot. One is obviously the access to the to the CBD in Melbourne, where you know a good size of the population is, of course. And then uh, because you near the airport, it literally is you know five, 10 minute cab ride from the airport. So you always see travellers now popping down from well, more so during the COVID easing, of course. But you know in, in normal times is people carrying surfboards at Sydney Airport or the other airports to get down to Melbourne for the day, or maybe they're there for a business trip. And they'll fly out and grab a surf on the way out. That really is a a pretty a pretty amazing sort of proposition, you know? If you think about your regular day trip in the Sydney's yeah. to Melbourne, you know, that, that transit pre-COVID again is a very busy route of business travelers. So jumping in there for an hour at the end of the day after a bunch of meetings sounds like a, a pretty cool proposition, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah. Amazing end to the day. Yeah. A few peers as well. Yeah, exactly. So. <laughs> What about the relationship with Wavegarden? Because obviously, they're in Spain, you're in Australia, that's a hell
1: of a long way away. Were there any snags in that relationship? I think um, it comes down to how you line up things around production and how you you manage your expectations together. You know, there was a long history with Andy, our founder, you know, with Wavegarden as well. And, you know, we wanted to make sure we managed that well going forward. Certainly, when I came in a couple of years ago, and You know, the guys are extremely passionate about what they're producing, and as are we. And when you have groups of extremely passionate people, A, you get some amazing results, but B, you naturally have disagreements over things. But I think they're good disagreements in that you both want to genuinely make it better. And if you didn't have disagreements, something's probably wrong because you should be challenging each other all the time. So in that working style, I think that was always evident, but went very well. We've obviously signed up now with them for the Sydney project as our second code, which is really exciting. So the challenges now are around things like how do we line up our production schedules? How do we get to market in time? How do we take risk out when you're shipping a whole bunch of things over from Spain that get produced? How's all that going to work? And they're, they're the main things, but I think now the teams have been through it once. The conversations, certainly, I've found in my experience, you know, we, they're pretty seasoned. Now there's a there's a strong level of trust. There's, you know, an understanding of how it could work because we're kind of doing it. So when we have discussions around these things, it's like, well, yeah, but let's just see if that's actually going to be a real thing that happens based on what we've had before. And most times you can resolve it really quickly as a result of that. So that helps a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And it's fairly traditional for the wave garden team to come out to a new site just before launch and uh, and test the waves. How did that feel when you, when you saw them coming out and you, you're really getting close to opening day? It must have been quite an amazing feeling
1: yeah i mean i think for all of us when we saw the first wave running and i remember the first one running was just a small tiddler wave running along but you could hear the machine actually firing and it was just like this is happening like it was truly a it was like a spine tingling moment and when we saw the first sort of bigger waves come through and i was there on the day that the first beast wave pumped out and it was a, a little bit terrifying seeing this uh, ripping sort of barrel with a deep bowl in it come across the lagoon but just incredibly exciting. So, you know, that experience was great. You know, I, I have a moment that, and I tell everyone this story because I just love telling the story, where I got to, um, I, was, I stayed down on a weekend when the guys were testing. It was literally sandbags around the perimeter of the lagoon. There was myself, Hossima from Wave Garden, and uh, one of our other team members who well, was the only three of us there, and, and the guys from Wave Garden in the, in the machine room. And Hossima said, Look, come out, we'll, we'll, we'll go through the wave menu and we'll test a few things. So he had his radio inside his wetsuit, and as we're out there, we're riding a wave. He's asking us how it was. What did you think? And, and whatnot. And then he would radio some commands back to the guys in the control room and tweak a few things. And you would actually see it come out in the wave, which was quite quite remarkable. And that to me, and I, I come off a long break from surfing at that point, just just being really busy, uh, working so hard in 2019, had a knee operation a couple of years prior, which was giving me lots of grief. So you know, the, the confidence of just jumping into the fast stuff wasn't there. And then as we worked through the menu, it was just like, oh yeah. Okay, it's not riding a bike. Here we are. No, we're back. You know, and and that was fantastic. And uh, that's something that sticks in my mind today. And I'll, I remember being out there for three hours in the water, and uh, I could not walk the next day. I can honestly <laughs> not be too proud to admit it, Nick. I was like a broken <laughs> old man the next day. I must admit. So uh, I probably had to work on my fitness a bit, which I've done now. But uh, yeah, it was it was awesome. You know, and that's still brilliant. even when I tell the story, I get a little tingle in my my head you know where I was like, oh, yeah, that, that was yeah. kind of fun you know and you forgot about everything like cold water hurting yourself anything because it just shone through you know it was great
0: amazing yeah but i suppose coming up to launch day must have been bittersweet in the, in, the, in the way that it's the end of the development road but only the very start of the operational cycle so a lot more headaches ahead How did
1: it go in the first few weeks? Yeah, uh, pretty well. I think just getting the team, you know, things like computer systems and all these things that you're so reliant on when it comes to the customer experience were were the main sort of snags for us. We built a system and, you know, it was still in a a stage of, is this going to work with high volumes and how's it going to operate? You know, the booking engine itself operated pretty well. The systems we had in the park when you came to the reception maybe were a bit slower, but we we soon fixed all those. That was obviously a priority. We had lots of staff on hand just in case things did go down or people did need extra help. So we we really over over serviced the park in the early days because and we put our hands up and said, "Look, guys, we've never done this before. Bear with us. Yeah, we want your feedback, but we would, we just want to get you in the park and surfing." And that was kind of the focus. We didn't try to fill the park with hundreds of people. It was about the point you know where our main wave breaks to start with. And we focused on the core surf crowd just to get that those people that were frothing with us for years who were just keen to try the wave into the water and, and, and work well. So our focus was on the safety piece around that because that is a real element, in the operational side, and just getting our customers through the, the experience itself. So it didn't take us too long to jump on that quickly, but certainly given that I was originally brought on to set all of that up and you know, since expanded from then, gee, I was was really hoping that would be good. But I I must admit, those first days, um, just seeing when you first turn on the wave machine on a a session, and people have seen it for the first time, the smiles on the faces were just insane. Going into the water, coming out of the water and leaving the park, just people shaking their heads. And even now, when I go down and I've had a session, it's really difficult to pinpoint one wave or one moment because you just go, oh, wow, it's just a my mind's just blown again you know it happens every single time which is just awesome
0: oh it's going to be so amazing when you've got many more of these around the world so everybody can share in that stoke that's that's amazing
1: so true yeah so true
0: Uh, i'm not sure how much you can share um statistics from the operation of of uh, melbourne but what, can you share visitor numbers, water use, electricity use, and how much does it
1: end up costing? Yeah, so costs are, it's a bit trickier to define. But think about the guest numbers. I mean, we've had over fifty thousand unique guests since we were trading last year, which is which is good. We're we're happy with that. We would have sold around one hundred and forty thousand hours in in the lagoon, which is also you know a good number. And this is a really business interrupted. 2020, we were closed for six to seven months, so really tough. But we just came off the back of a strong summer trade, which is essential, particularly leading into a second location. So we're really happy with how that's going. In terms of power and things like that, um, it's pretty much on track with what we thought. I can't reveal specifics, unfortunately, but um, we are on track and we have worked hard to set up 100% renewable energy contracts. We've got a submission with the airport in Melbourne at the moment to put solar panels on our main shed buildings so we do want to work towards a more carbon neutral sort of operating environment that's very important to us and certainly you know for those of us that are, are surfers and you know love the environment things like that we, we really want to aspire to achieve that you know that, that's a big goal for us so I, I think all those things aside you know numbers are, are going pretty well you know we're seeing you know since we started you know there's been over a million website visits 10 million video views some of the statistics have been Phenomenal. And that's from around the world as well. I think it's just been so much interest. And, uh, you know, we're really, we're very grateful for that for a start, because what's made that all happen is, look, not only the team, I've got to shout out to the team, as I always will, because it's not just a one man show. It never is. But the other part is our guests. When we had, you know, guests uh, affected by covid no one came running back to us chasing refunds. And that really helped us to manage credits and keep the business sustainable into the period during COVID. And again, we're incredibly thankful for that. You know, I think, and that's where the community aspect of surfing and what we're trying to create here, really, it's a great experience for Mm -hmm. those reasons.
0: So there's fifty thousand guests. If you reckon, if that was a normal year, do you reckon it would have been double that? And you said that was uniques as well. So there's probably people coming back again and again. So that's right. Might be like one hundred and twenty thousand people, right?
1: Yeah. Look, could could well be. What we haven't really seen a lot of yet is the winter trade. We only open for three weeks in our winter. Uh, Melbourne gets a little bit fresh. I was there um, in July. Went for a session, a little intermediate session, and jumped into the ten degree water. So. You know, the brain freeze is evident, but look, I think for your core surfers, they're the used to the local conditions, they can adapt to that. What we also see in the lagoon as well is that the sun radiates the water pretty quickly. So even on a sunny day in the winter, the water will be a few degrees warmer than the local coast, which is great. But yeah, I, I think we we are confident of increasing those numbers. And what we've seen a lot more now of is, which is really exciting, is non surfers that perhaps have tried it for the first time or those that just don't have the confidence to get to the ocean for a number of reasons, whether it be a you know, a competitive lineup, whether it be currents, whether it be sharks and blue bottles, stingers and all sorts of things like that, you know. So I think we're seeing a lot of people trying it out and realizing that we're, we're trying to provide an experience here that's accessible to everyone, which is great.
0: Obviously, Melbourne's the first project
1: for Urban Surf.
0: What's next? Is Sydney. Sydney's next. You, you mentioned that. So what can you share with us about Sydney?
1: Yeah. It sounds exciting. In Sydney, we're 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 on the cusp. Um, I'm, I'm really excited. I love talking about it at the moment because we... You know, moving into the second park location and the the Sydney demographic and the market is, um, you know, it's it's big. It's a good size from an Australian, you know, population perspective. The location we have is at a Sydney Olympic Park, which was the home of the Olympics in 2000. Again, you know, close to where it all happened back then, and that has a lot of uh, heartstrings for for people in Sydney as well. We love the location. We love the access. the The western part of Sydney has grown tremendously. The roads and the access has improved a lot too, so you can drive pretty much from Avalon or down to the Royal National Park for those who are local Sydney siders, of course. Not everyone will understand that, and get to be able to get to the park within an hour. That's really exciting. So we're hoping to break ground on that in the middle of this year. We are in discussions now with our sort of capital raising exercise that we're doing, which is again very exciting, and there's a lot of interest. You know, which is great. I think you know the fact that Melbourne. Has performed well in the trading period despite COVID has been very positive. You know, we've got an experienced team that went through the wars from, you know, getting the business on track to, you know, seeing it through COVID. So I think. You know, we've got a great team that are there to do that. So I think there's a there's quite a bit of faith in that. You know, we're, we're kind of on the right path. So um, yeah, I can't speak highly of that enough. I can't wait to get out there with the shovel for the for the first turn. You know, it would be really exciting.
0: You're going to do it all on your own with
1: one shovel? Uh, no. Once you get away, it, won't, I, <laughs> I, I'm just the guy who helps point a few directions. It's really the team that does all the work, mate. Right? So uh, again, I have to shout out to the guys. It's not about me. <laughs>
0: but so there's what about five million people in Sydney? You reckon they'll all be within? within one hour's drive from,
1: from the location? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's about five within an hour would be about right, give or take, you know, and, and that's changing. And a and big driver of that is um, the growth in Western Sydney, and this is sort of where I grew up, so I know Sydney very well having my origins are here. You know, the, the Western side of Sydney has just grown tremendously, population density. So Sydney Olympic Park is really considered as quite a central location to the city itself it's not near the airport like melbourne it is a little bit different trying to get land in the airport for this type of project is difficult just based on how things are built up around the airport in sydney but yeah it really is an accessible point it's very well known we've got an agreement to be able to stick the olympic rings to make it a, a training center you know uh, things like that so we're really excited and we do want to build effectively a high performance center there for australian surfing look not just australian for For global surfing, you know, that'd be fantastic to be able to make that claim.
0: Sure. And what kind of other features are you going to have in that is going to be very similar to urban surf? Where we come in, surf and have a a meal, or you're going to put accommodation in and all kinds of
1: things? Yeah, there's a little bit less space in the Sydney location. I'd love to be able to add some of those features, but these are conversations we'll have with, you know, the Sydney Olympic Park Authority. That's the government entity that manages the site. There's definitely those sorts of opportunities to consider. Whereas Melbourne has a bit more space and we would look at ancillary features such as you know a boutique accommodation or other pieces to add, we want to build in a little a skate park there and climbing centre and things like that. Uh, we're looking at a ninja course at the moment to try and add some more elements for kids that they love. you know what's a ninja course? Oh, I don't know if you've ever seen uh, the TV show Ninja Warrior in Australia, that's a bit of a hype at the moment. so my kids, for example, are climbing over everything and breaking a lot of stuff in my garage because they're pretending it's a ninja course at the moment. So um, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those things that now a lot of playground operators are building these types of facilities into their playgrounds because it's, it's a real great physical activity for the kids. So it's a small person's assault course, really? Pretty much. Yeah, that, I think that's a good way to yeah. describe it. So a lot of fun as well. Now, the, the Sydney location, we will allow more space for things like conference office facilities. We're looking at a couple of F&B options. So we want to expand on the operation a little bit in that sense. It's just that space is a little bit limited, but it doesn't mean we can't do things in other you know, adjacent pieces of land toward it, which we'll look at once we get the park sure. open.
0: Okay, and I think when I was chatting to Andrew Ross some time ago, he was mentioning that yeah. Urban Surf as a company has obviously greater plans as well. And I mean, you know, it's it's big enough having Melbourne and Sydney, but you're looking... Elsewhere, what other projects are on your timeline?
1: Yeah, so over the next few years, you know, we have we're actually entered into exclusive negotiations with the landowner of Brisbane. I can't go into too much detail there, but we're looking to work through that, and that will hopefully be a, an area we look at. We are exploring the Gold Coast, and then over in Perth, we are exploring a site over there with the government now as well, where we've actually put a bit in. So some of these may be a few years away, but you've really got to think ahead in the game and, and get you know, get that pipeline of planning happening. We're also looking at some great regional options as well. So, you know, it may not be in the major cities of Australia. It may be up the coast or in a coastal area that provides a different type of venue, you know. So um, that's sort of our focus. We are Australian focused at the moment, but I, I must admit, I have been approached by a number of people now that we've been trading and it's been operating. Um, you know, just this past week, I had a couple of phone calls with operators in the States who are, or developers who are keen to talk and look at what we can do. So, um, yeah, we're definitely getting a lot of calls, but I think, you know, for those of us who've, who've done these things now, you do need to focus. You can't spread yourself too thin because, you know, when the development projects go wrong, they go wrong and you've got to sort it. You know, you've got to commit. So I want to make sure we get our core business, you know, well in hand, under control. The team we have now is, is fantastic. And, uh, you know, these guys run a great ship on my, on my behalf. I'm very lucky to have them. So I think you know that allow, at least allows me to look a bit further afield you know for different opportunities and projects for us
0: and would it be the same philosophy of putting a, a wave pool right in the center of a city and, and using the urban element or are you looking at resorts like you said maybe based out in the country and and different styles because obviously very many ways you can you can build a wave pool
1: absolutely and and, and uh, that's that's a good point you raise because I think there are different angles you can look at it from as part of a development as part of a resort one of the challenges you face though is that Look, at the end of the day, the surf parks, they're expensive to build. Even if you go for one that's say half the size, you've still got to build the fundamental civil works and the connections and all these major pieces of infrastructure just to get it live. So, you know, I would always advise caution to people who are looking at, you know, relying on, you know, just one single source of income or something like that and say, look, just just plan it out well, otherwise, you know, there are, there are some pretty big costs associated with the construction of these things. And and I don't think anyone's really cracked it yet. It is new. We're all learning and we're all going down the path. But uh, look, I would definitely believe we would entertain that as well, which is those different types of options. But we want to make sure it's true to the brand, true to surfing, true to our guests and, you know, being able to, again, provide that sort of accessible road to surfing for everyone to be part of. Because
0: it seems like Snowdonia, I mean, they've just put up the. I think it's a Hilton, isn't it? They just put up a Hilton.
1: Yeah, the hotel. It's it's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and what a backdrop and a location. You know, so yeah. there's some great ideas coming out. If you look at the Wave Garden in, in, in Switzerland now, I mean, you, you'll never get photography like that of a surf park with the, the snowy mountains behind it. It is stunning, you know, and they've looked at it from a different angle. It's a bit more surf-focused and, and core surf-focused, which is great. And, and that model might work in that market. I guess you've got access to a, a good chunk of Europe, you know, huge populations around you. Australia is a little bit different because you do have quite a, you know, on global scales, it's a small population. So you can't just pump out surf parks everywhere without, you know, and rely on the number of people because you just won't get them in that way. So you do have to be careful about where you are them.
0: Are you concerned at the pushback in France from environmental lobbyists? I mean, obviously, Australia is a completely different kettle of fish, but do you think that could have any effect on your work in Australia with environmental lobbyists and people getting concerned about energy consumption, et cetera?
1: Yeah, and and look, it's definitely something we don't take lightly by any means. You know, we do have some goals to really try and improve that carbon footprint where we stand, you know, the renewable energy I mentioned earlier, uh, solar panels, things like that, you know, I mean, I um, I think, you know, we have a duty to try and find a way to do it as efficiently and as environmentally friendly as possible without those types of things. There's been some pretty radical sort of ideas about how we use power or how we we, we access heating solutions for the water and things like that without having an impact on the environment. So that's something we'll always aspire to do. So look, I'd be foolish to sit here and say, ah, look, I'm not worried about that. It's it's not something we, we, we dwell on, but we are very keenly aware of that we have a responsibility to actually improve that situation constantly. And then even working with, you know, um, Wave garden now we talk about right how to reduce materials what's the appropriate space to use you know how can we reduce energy consumption things just to look at some of this stuff and these are things these are conversations we constantly have even down to types of board we use you know i uh, was lucky enough to take my son for his 10th birthday to hayden cox's factory in Monvale down the road from my place here in sydney and um lucky kid got a hipto crypto for his for his for his birthday he's really excited and i managed to sneak one in there myself but um Hayden now, for example, is looking at what materials can be used in offcuts from boards and different things to build surfboards because surfboards themselves aren't the most environmentally friendly sort of piece, you know, and then there's bamboo boards and different styles from a lot of different shapers. So I think that's just something we have to commit to long term and I'd love to get to a point in, you know, five years we've made significant steps in this sort of space.
0: But it's not just environmental pushback. I mean, there might be lots of reasons why people might be opposed to having a large wave pool. Have have you come across anything? In, in your history with Urban Surf,
1: yeah, I, I think we have. I mean, when we looked at one of our our earlier site plans, which is Millville Park in Perth, you know, residents weren't too happy to have a a surf park in that vicinity. Um, they wanted to, you know, retain the, the natural sort of land that was there. Um, so we've definitely come across that, and you know, we learned some we learned some lessons from that. I think now, if you look at a site like the Sydney Olympic Park precinct, that's an old car park that was essentially many many years ago was basically a uh, you know, it was, a, it was a landfill zone. So if we can recover a space and do it well and make sure, you know, you couldn't really build many things on that space anyway. So putting a wave park there has less impact overall. So we've definitely taken some learnings from, from those experiences and, you know, at the end of the day, trying to find you know, that four to six hectare space for a lagoon and its, and its structures around it is not that easy. So you won't always find the perfect solution that ticks all the boxes in that space. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Okay, well, I just got one last question and it's going back to energy again because obviously everybody's talking about energy at the moment and it uh, sounds like Wave is doing a lot of incredible work with energy and trying to get that done. But in your opinion, could you rank the wave pool tech and the energy efficiency from top to bottom, like who's number one? What do you think?
1: Yeah, I think... Wave Garden, maybe? I think, yeah, Wave gardens probably, probably up there. I think, you know, when you see how the system works and how the water operates with it, you know, I think by nature, you know, you're not moving as much water around as you do with a pneumatic system potentially. So it is probably uh, more energy efficient in that way. But at the same time, I'm hearing word and having some good discussions with people about how advances are constantly being made in the other techs. So... I'm really excited by that. And I I can't wait to hear more about it because I think, you know, whilst there's definitely some front runners, I think people are really aware of the challenges and they're working their backsides off to find better ways to do things and more efficient ways to do things, which I think is great for all of us. You know, it'll, it'll, it'll improve the ability for operators to, run a facility and provide that experience to mm-hmm. customers at the end of the day.
0: Yeah, we're chatting to Surflex pretty soon and and obviously they're Australian owned and born and uh
1: yeah. must be exciting. What do you think of that? Oh I actually I love it. You know, I'm a massive fan of the guys. Nice. You know, it is it is homegrown. You know, you can't help but feel a sense of pride around that and that's okay. You know, you know, the the the, the plunge system and, and the scale and what it spits out and just the whole mechanism of it, you know, this Mad Max Thunderdome type setup, you know, it, it is just Awesome to watch, you know. I really enjoy it, you know. And and the guys, full credit to them, you know. They've they've kicked this out from a lake up in yapoon I went to university for my undergrad up in Rockhampton, so I know Yapoon really well. I know where they are and I know the space. So just the fact that that got created up there, where I went to university in my me much younger years, is is really exciting. So you know, I'd love to see all of these guys get uh, you know some projects on the table. I think that's good for everyone, and also creates a whole bunch of different breaks for us all to try. You know, I know what I'm home and I'm looking at a particular break, you know, you're know, you going to get different conditions left or right or off the point or on the beach, depending on which part of the coastline you go to. And the same goes for the, the wave tech, right? Not everyone's waves are going to behave the same. So I think the opportunity for multiple tech providers in this space is actually really exciting.
0: Yeah, I was just talking to Scott from Surflock, and and we were chatting about you know ten foot waves in a pool. And I, my mind was blown.
1: <laughs> I'm not sure I'd want to be on that one. I'd probably get crunched. But um, I tell you what, I would love to see that day. I must admit. I mean, if we can produce something like that as operators and, and developers, wow. That would be phenomenal.
0: But that's what I thought initially as well. I thought, oh God, I'm going to get absolutely crunched in this. And then he was saying, no, but we can dial it back and make it a really lazy takeoff. And then you know, it sounds like the way you can actually shape the
1: wave is phenomenal. Yeah, it's funny. We've got a couple of waves like that too. That are probably more the more advanced waves, and the takeoffs probably easier than some of the more intermediate waves because of the way the shape works and how it's been designed. So I'm sure the guys will be able to produce that. You know. I would love to be there to actually see that happen. That'd be fantastic.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Early day is still, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, you know, it feels like we, we're getting there, but it's still a lot to go in the future. Oh, absolutely.
1: Absolutely. But
0: yeah. yeah, Damon, thanks so much for coming on. Really appreciate chatting to you. And it's awesome to learn about Urban Surf and your plans. And uh, and yeah, all the best of luck.
1: Yeah, thanks a lot, Nick. And look, I'll certainly reach out we'll connect when I get a bit more news about Sydney. and just can't wait to talk about that one when we get through the next stage. Yeah, thank you. Excellent. I'm looking forward to it.
0: for your curiosity and stoke.